Ladies and gentlemen, a very good evening and a warm welcome to yet another Red and Blue Review. My name is Nick Philpott. I'm your host this evening. I'm shortly going to be joined by the ledge, which is Jim Cannon, Ian and Ferg. And we're going to be deciphering yet another another defeat, which is a shame. But first of all, let's welcome the boys on board. Jim Cannon, welcome back, mate. Palace legend, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. Nice to be back. Nice to have you, mate. Been a couple of weeks where you've been. Uh, just had things on, so, and I probably didn't get an invite this first week. Don't give me that garbage. You know you got yours as an open invitation. You don't need an invite anymore. Fergus Tid, how are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thank you, Nick. Jolly good. Yeah. Uh, you weren't, you didn't join us on Friday evening, and you didn't have, didn't have to sit through that. I understand. I, I didn't. No, well, we had Michael McIntyre tickets. We've had them for about a year, and then of course Sky moved the game to a Friday night. Which meant mate, uh, you I had to make a horrible money. decision. <laughs> you should have saved your money and gone to the comedy at Sellers Park instead, Manly. Uh, <laughs> Ian Noble, how are you, mate? Yeah, good evening, Nick. Good evening, everybody. I'm I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, not bad at all. Look at all those names. Why are you all joining us out there in Facebook land and YouTube? I can see you all, Teresa Paul, Andy, Steve, Nadine. I can see you all. Good evening and a warm welcome to each and every one of you. First of all. Ian, I understand you had you had some elusive company on um, Friday night. Yeah, well, my new best mates, you mean? Your new besties from the other side of the planet. No, oh, not well, that well, one. First of all, Norwich. Get that one off. <laughs> so, so first of all, I was with Norwich. Norwich were putting a rare appearance at Sellers Park on Friday night. Um, but these guys um, in the chat, guess who these guys are? Anybody want to make a guess? Can anybody work out who they are in the chat? And, oh. and put, now put the other one up. Now put the other one up, Norwich. And yeah, and there's look to the uh, red and blue review ultras or ultras, as uh, somebody <laughs> just calls in the, in the uh, chat. Nice, welcome back to Sellers Park, mate. It's been a while, and I'm glad you're down there, buddy. Um, and yeah, could anybody work out? Mark Callahan said, "Are they our latest signings?" No, they're not our latest signings. Well, he's, not, he's not far away, actually. Stick, stick the picture back up, nice. So um, I'm at Newcastle away last weekend, and in our row at the front there was a. People, they all had Francer shirts on. Francer on the back and uh, a number 11. So I thought, well, obviously they're Francer's family. So I went up and had a little chat to his mum and dad. And uh, all these guys were there as well. Now, I thought they were his brothers or cousins or something like that. But they're not. They're just his best mates from Brazil. They've come over for two weeks to see his first game for Palace. They saw the under-21 fixture. And they were there on Friday night as well. And on Tuesday, they're flying back to Brazil. So I thought, well, let's mark the occasion, have a little selfie with them. But they were pleased that I um, I picked them out, I suppose, you know, in the crowd. And we're a little well, chat, in so the uh, chat, in the chat, Dawn got it closest. I mean, she's down as Dawn Palace, I think. <laughs> she's put Francis down as relations, yeah. relations. She's pretty close. Uh, Paul Holder saying Salako's sons. No, that's not right. Uh, uh, there's a couple of other ones in there. But hello to old... Uh, Paul Bristow's out there. And Paul, good to see you at Sellers on Friday evening as well, mate. Shame the result wasn't how we wanted. Nigel, can we can you do me a favour, mate? Could you put up the picture of the lineups before I pass over to Ian? Because I want I want you guys to have a look at something. And they're coming up very shortly. So out came the lineup uh, at seven o'clock on Friday evening, as you know. Nothing untoward there, you'd think. And the second one, Nigel. Can anybody notice the difference, the marked difference in that, those two slides? There's number one, and there's number two. And again, Nigel, number Mark one. Got it. 
I've got it. Go on. It's the captain. Even the Crystal Palace. I mean, we are a Premier League team with multi-million pounds budget going into everything. Our our um, staff cost must be astronomical now. And even the Crystal Palace admin can't even get something as simple as that. That first one was the official Crystal Palace page, the one with... Uh, Warder's captain, rightly so. And the other one was the Twitter feed people that put Geehy down as captain. I mean, if we cut, we are Premier League budget and we're, we're performing like a championship team. It's just, to me, it's just totally embarrassing. Um, Ian, any thoughts? Yeah, I think off the pitch, um, championship is being generous, mate. You know, I'd say League Two level, off the pitch. Our admin and everything about the club is pretty poor, actually. You know, ticketing, you know, when the tickets come out for away games, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, I think they're trying, they're making efforts, but, you know, it's not good enough, frankly, you know, all in all. Jim, I'm purposely not asking you there because I don't want you to commit, but... Oh, no, I'll, I'll commit. I'll, I couldn't lose sleep over something like that. There's far it. too much more important things. And maybe the second mob preferred Gehi as skipper than Ward. Uh, in my opinion, Gehi should be, he should, he should, he should be skipper, okay? Um, I accept the fact that Joel's been a club legend for God knows how many years. It, uh, Fergie, any thoughts on it? No, just echoing what Ian said. I think as a club, we've always, when it comes to admin, we've always been really poor. poor as long as I can remember. Paul, Paul Grant has said in the chat, uh, the budget was blown on the fireworks. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were quite good, actually. It was a great picture. I sent Nigel. I don't know if you've got that picture, Nigel. Um, take it from the Homesdale lower tier on Friday night. Um, but it, I thought it was quite impressive. I quite like the light show. I don't know what anyone else thought, but I thought it was uh, probably about the best bit of the night, actually, wasn't it, on Friday? You know, the, the pre-match. The, uh, the, you know, the, quite rightly, the uh, minute silence for all those that have lost their lives in uh, Israel and Gaza, and then um, the minutes of applause for Bobby Charlton and um, Bill, Bill Kimmel. Kimmel. So, you yeah. know, I thought it was great. Yeah, that picture. I, t- I took this off of um, someone's Facebook page, and uh, I thought it was a great picture taken from the lower homestead. So it uh, looks like the whole Arthur Waits on fire, doesn't well, it? Well, so- actually, you're funny you should say that, Ian. I know we've got a budget, uh, although the budget's gone up by a third, or £150 million for the newsstand. Do you think they're trying to do an insurance job on the Arthur? <laughs> it looks that way, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, let's go to the proper lineups, Nigel, if you'd be so kind, because it is relevant to what we're going to be talking about later in the show. Uh, the lineup was probably as we all predicted, anyway, uh, with Johnson in goal, Ward, Gehi, Anderson, Mitchell, Ayu, Lerma, Decore, Schlupp, Hughes, and Edward. On the bench, uh, Matthews holding Klein, Richards, Riedervald, Amahada, Raksaki, France, and Mateta, as we know. So thanks for that, Nigel. Ian, over to you, mate. Cover the game if you'd be so kind. Yeah, and, and uh, Ferg and Jim, do do chip in uh, as we go through um, because I've got quite a lot to talk about. I've got quite a lot of notes. Um, I've watched it back, not the whole game, but I watched the extended highlights back and, and bits of the whole game, actually, bits that I thought I must go and have a look over that again. Um, do you know what? I thought we started well enough. You know, let's put this into context, first of all. We're playing the league leaders who are unbeaten in the Premier League, okay? I think that that backdrop needs to be understood. Um, We're coming off the back of a 4-0 defeat away from home, which we're all disappointed with last weekend. 
And, you know, this lot have played Monday night as well. And so we thought, well, that might play to our advantage a little bit. But we started well enough. Chris passing through um, the midfield. Um, the first moment of note, really, was when Hughes broke. Um, he was played in, I think it was Ed Boyard, and he broke through the centre circle. And you just thought, that's the wrong player. You know, if you'd had a, a you know someone with a bit of pace there to, to get on the end of that, they would have just kept going and kept going and got a shot away. Nick? Yeah, and I'm really glad you highlighted that because Mark Callaghan has already said in the chat, isn't it odd that Hughes was playing so far forward, made Schlupp look even more ineffective. Um, and you're right, because had that been anybody with half a yard of pace, he would have been through on goal, one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. And I think you're right to highlight it. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I turned to the person I was sitting next to, I said, imagine if that was Gallagher on the, on the end of that. I know he doesn't play for us, but, you know, it, when he was with us, that kind of break was the kind of box-to-box, -box, you know, that you expect. And that's what we're missing at the moment. And I think Hughes was asked to play further forward because he was trying to accommodate the players that had, had the shirt. He's got a few coming back, obviously, Lerma um, and Decoure come back last weekend. Um, so he's trying to fit them all in. So through it, really, we were playing three defensive midfielders uh, in that side, and it didn't really work from that point of view. But the the, the move when he did, he, he found Ayu in the end. He checked back, or the Spurs defender got off toe in, and he he found Ayu on the right. Who actually got his shot away. You know, it wasn't a bad shot. It was on target. It was the kind of save you'd expect their keeper to make, but he made the save. And then Hughes took a free kick. It led to Schlup uh, putting in Edward on the edge of the box. And that was another good effort on goal, you know. So the early chances fell to us. This is in the first 10 minutes of the game. And I thought Edward did ever so well with that effort. You know, he's, he's unlucky. You know, he couldn't have done, you couldn't have asked him to do much more. If that's Ollie Watkins doing that for Aston Villa, we're all going, oh, isn't he a great forward? Um, bit unlucky not to score. So in the first side, the first 10 minutes, we've got two shots on target, two saves by their keeper. Um, I thought Ward was exploited down our right-hand side. I thought they, they played for that. Uh, he was cut open. A, we were cut open a little bit. Um, thankfully, Richarlison didn't seem to have his shooting boots on. Otherwise, we could have uh, been uh, behind early on. Um, Hughes seemed to be on all the free kicks and the corners, um, you know, in the absence of Eze and others. Uh, uh, free kick into the box. Um, plenty of Palace appeals for handball, this one. This was on the right-hand side. He puts it in. And two or three Spurs players jump with a Palace player. I can't remember who it was now. But I think almost a couple of the Spurs players looked as if they could have handled it. Now, it wasn't given, but there were plenty of appeals for handball from the Palace players. So you just, I always say, look at the reaction of the players. I don't know if you found that, Jim, when you played. It was, it was about the reaction of the players that, you know, you could tell there's something in this. But had it been given, you would have argued it was very soft. But you've seen them given. That's the thing. And people that were watching it on the box were messaging saying, that's a penalty. I don't think it was probably. It probably Jim, was, was it a penalty? Uh, in this day and age, yes. But you need somebody to go to the monitor and have a look. But don't forget, we're playing a top team, so they're not going to go and look at that. If it was the other way around, they'd have yeah. probably gone and looked at it. I was going to say that. And that happens all the time. I was going to say that. What you say, Ferg, here? <laughs> what do I normally say? Yeah. I don't know. What do I normally say? You normally say <laughs> checking club badge, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say there was two reasons that wasn't given. One, it was because it was Spurs and not us. And two, he did have his hand close to his body. I think he knew what he was doing, but because his hand was close to his body and it wasn't out in an unnatural position, 
I think that's why it wasn't given. Um, yeah. But but it, it could very well have been given had it been down the other end. I think that would have gone to VAR and it, and it probably would have been a penalty. Yeah, Mark Callaghan says anything is a penalty these days. Watch the Wolves v Newcastle game. Yeah, they yeah. are really sort of what I thought was a soft penalty in Newcastle in their game at the weekend. Um, we had plenty of corners in that first half. You know, at one point it was corner after corner after corner. The problem was we weren't doing anything with them. Um, I think we've we've got the lowest conversion rate from corners in the Premier League. We'll come we'll back, come to, back to that later. later. We've actually got that stat. Yeah. We'll come back to that later. But, but you know, Hughes was putting these corners in. I suppose I would have liked to have seen something different. You know, you moan about um, uh, short corners sometimes, but sometimes you've got to mix it up a little bit. And it was the same ball into the box and it really wasn't going anywhere. And when it was falling to a Palace player, you know, Decore got a shot away once, I think. And then Ward had an effort. I think he had a couple of efforts. One was, didn't even go for a throw in. It was that bad. Another one went skied over the bar. So, you know, and, you know, one of the other stats that we'll come back to later is the number of shots we're taking at the moment. Now, actually, that stat isn't too bad. The problem we've got is that the quality just isn't there, largely. So, you know, I've sat next to people um, for years and they all keep saying, shoot, you know, you get the ball on the edge of the box, they want players to shoot, but they're shooting and they're just not getting anywhere near the goal half the time. Um, and um, that was the story of our, our first half, really, to some extent. Um, I thought Edward looked better when he was out wide left. He had a couple of times when he got out on the left-hand side in the first half and he can beat a player and get a cross in. And I think that's where he played a lot up in Celtic. I might be wrong there, but, you know, he, he, he's good wide left. Um, but we play him down the middle because we haven't got another option, really. Um, and, uh, you know, I think arguably in the first half, with the balance of the play, you know, we, you could argue that we were the better team in the first period. I don't know what you two think, rest or three think. I think their keeper pulled off a couple of really good saves, didn't they? Was it one for my on the right-hand side, and then Edward's one when he, he dived to his left and tipped it round. Yeah, you know. So, so we probably definitely had the best best chances of the first half. It's just frustrating because our history with Spurs that their goalkeeper always seems to be man of the match. Certainly, certainly for the first half, anyway, um, keeps them in the game, and then we seem to to fold in the second half against them. But yeah, definitely the better team in the first half, albeit. They had more possession, but we definitely had the better chances. Yeah, Jim, you, you, Jim as well. Would you, yeah. would you agree with that? Would you concur with that? Yeah. I mean, I, before the game, I would have said if we get a draw by half-time, we'll have done well. But to tell you the truth, I thought we, attacking-wise, were much better than them. I was really disappointed. I thought they would be a lot better. Uh but maybe that's because we started on the front foot. Uh, obviously, they're going to have a bit more possession, but they've done nothing with it. And uh, at half time, I thought, yeah, we've got half a chance here if we could keep it going. But yeah. unfortunately, I think the on goal changed the game completely. So, mm. OK, so let, let's move on to that then and, and talk about the second half. I thought actually early in the second period, we started as where we left off in the first Um there was a the, sort of the most the first moment of note really was when Ayu carried the ball um, through the middle of the pitch um, and he found uh, Schlup uh, wide left 
and um, he managed to get his cross <laughs> low and hard into the six-yard box. And, you know, you, you, you couldn't really have asked for him to do much, much more with that. Um, there was another occasion where Dukuri won the ball um, about 30 yards from their goal and, and played in uh, Edouard, um, whose effort was deflected over. So, you know, he did everything right, but the defender got a touch on it and it went over for a corner, yet another corner. Um, so, you know, there were times in that in that second period before they scored when we looked as if we could have taken the lead ourselves. Um, another occasion, we had a corner on our right. The ball came in and Gagey had a free header in the box. You know, Jim, you've been on the end of them in the penalty area. You, your eyes light up when you see the ball and you think you can see the net bulging. And he, he just seemed to glance it. You know, he didn't connect properly. Um, mm. And I think you could see how cross he was with himself that he didn't get the connection. But, you know, good connection on that. Um, and it's a goal. So I, th I think in, in many ways we're a bit unlucky at that stage. And then, you know, we're not that long into the game, in the second period rather, and Spurs get that opening goal on 53 minutes. Um, we had six outfield players in the box defending that ball at the time. Um, they cut us open down the right-hand side. Saar played the ball into Madison's feet, who crossed it low and hard across the six-yard box. And Wardy just seemed to get his feet all wrong, and it, it just hit him and goes in, and he can't do much about it. But, you know, the irony is, if he's not there, Richarlison's miles away, you know, from it. It goes past the goal, you know, but there we are, Nick. I was gonna, Jim, defender's point of view, mate, please. Wardy should well, be... I, 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 when, it, when that cross came in, I think it took a little bit of deflection before yeah. it actually got to Wardy, which might have sort of, like, put him off a little bit. But, I mean, I suppose if he's looking round and the pace of the ball, he could have maybe stepped out the way. But, I mean, if he's not sure, I think it was Richardson, if, if he's not sure where he is, then he's going to go and try and make contact. And But I don't think he could get his feet. It, it come at him really quick and it come from a deflection, which was only like a yard, two yards in front of him. And I think that sort of caught him out a little bit. And obviously, it's it looks worse than what it is. But it, these things happen. You can't sort of blame them for that. No, no, I'm, I'm no not but you would have, wouldn't you argue though, Jim, that with his experience, with Wardy's experience, he should be more aware of where Richarlison was. Yeah, uh, yes and no. I'll, I'll go fifty-fifty on that because sometimes you're not sure. You know, like you're watching in front of you, watching the ball. He knows he's there, but he doesn't know if he's just gone a little bit behind him. But if he's out of his sight, he doesn't know, does he? And Richardson, like, stayed away from him. He could have let it go. But I think it just comes so quick at him, it just hit him. Hmm. Yeah, I think he knew Carlson was behind him, which is why he, he attempted to try and clear the ball. I think he was trying to put it over the bar or... or flick it wide but like Jim said it just come at him so quick and it did it did hit a, I think it clipped a Palace defender on the way across didn't it yeah so, uh, it definitely clicked somebody yeah. Yeah. so I mean Paul Bristow makes a very good point there actually the goal on goal came immediately after Johnson had been caught on the ball it wasn't Johnson's fault it was played it was played back to him um and it, the only option he had was to play it to Gahey um and it was the Tottenham high press that you know i saw that on monday night against fulham i watched the game on monday night and i thought they pressed they pressed they pressed tottenham and they did that for that that on that occasion 
And all Gahey could do was to put it out for a throw-in. He did the right thing. He couldn't do anything else, either that or a corner. And they went, they went and took the throw quickly, and that's where the move came from. And we just just momentarily switched off. Just momentarily. So, frustrating. You know, yeah. frustrating thing is, Ian, it's, it's just it's ball retention. We can't keep the ball. We, we forced, well, we practically gave Spurs that goal. We had the ball. We had it in, in our possession. Passed it back to the keeper. He's miscontrolled it. He's put it, given Mark Gee a bit of a, a difficult ball to deal with. And all he can do is put it out. Spurs take that throw on really quickly. We're not set up. We're not ready for it. And we're 1-0 down within, what, 20 seconds. It's so frustrating. <laughs> Boys, after he has finished his review of the game, I want to talk about this thing with the press and the high press because it's a bit of an interesting conversation that we've had in a couple of the group chats this afternoon. And I want to come back to that after he has finished his review of the yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, you know... <laughs> We did bring it on ourselves a little bit, but I think, as Jim said, that it was unfortunate that the deflection, you know, we're not blaming Wardy for it, please, you know, uh, no one is. But no. that's one one nil down. And, of course, you know, conf- goals breed confidence. Um, they're already a confident side, being top of the league, undefeated and all the rest of it. Um, so they're very happy uh, to be one nil up, I think. Um, we make our first substitution literally about five minutes later on the hour mark. Um Jezrin Raksaki on for Schlup, which I think, you know, many in the crowd were applauding. You know, Schluppi isn't a particular favourite. Um, and many would have wanted to see uh, Raksaki, you know, selected in the starting eleven ahead of him. Um, so, you know, Raksaki's on the pitch by now on, on the air mark. And I, I, I mentioned this point specifically. Uh, and the other the substitutions I'll, I'll touch on in a minute. Um, because we'll come back to these and the importance of uh, of what was said after the game. Um, and then they scored the second goal. Uh, this was well worked down their left-hand side. Um, they cut us open, really. Uh, Wardy and Anderson both couldn't get near the Spurs players. Um, yeah, there were plenty of red and blue shirts back again, as you can see from that, that still there. You know, but Son, he just found that yard of space in the penalty area. And a player as good as him... You give him a yard of space and he's going to punish you. And that's exactly what he did. You never support Song goal, isn't it, against Palace? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he he's, he's in a rich vein of form anyway. He enjoys playing against us. He enjoys scoring against us. Um, uh, <coughs> and, and I think then on 66 minutes, you think, actually, that's the game. The game's done, isn't it? You know, we're not going to come back from this. That was my initial reaction anyway. Um, I think the game's done. Roy then decides that he's actually going to make some changes. Um I think he, he's, he's damned if he does. He's damned if he if he doesn't at the moment. Roy Hodgson, um, seventy minutes on the clock, and and Klein comes on for Mitchell, an injured Tarek Mitchell, I should add. Uh, we don't know the extent of that injury yet. No. Um, Roy was asked about it afterwards after the game, and he, he couldn't comment. And Hughes, who had been taking every single set piece on the pitch for us up until that point, uh, was replaced by Amada who um, still hasn't started a game for Crystal Palace, by the way. Uh, nine minutes after that, Franca, the boy from Brazil, comes on to replace Lerma. I was disappointed with Lerma, really, the other night. I don't think he had his best game. Uh, and Edouard, inevitably replaced by Mateta. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, we've, thrown, we've, done, we've made all the changes we can. We've got five subs on. I can't quite remember the last time we made five changes in a Premier League game. Somebody in the chat might know. Um, I haven't looked it up. I haven't researched that. 
um, but we don't do it very often, do we? So we're chasing the game. We're two nil down. We're trying to um, trying to get something out of it. Um, Jezrak Saki won a free kick on the right. Uh, Franca goes to take the free kick. It was probably one of the poorest free kicks I've ever seen. He sort of passed it along the floor to a Spurs player. Uh, Jim's smiling because he resonates with him. He remembers that. But then, uh, perversely, it broke to us because it broke out to Klein. He played it wide. Um, who did he play it wide to? Um, I'm just trying to think. It was Anderson, I think, that happened to find himself on the left wing. You know, Joachim Anderson pops up everywhere, doesn't he? And he hit the ball low and hard across the box. And again, you think, you know, it's a good. he couldn't have done much more. Um, and we just needed someone on the end of it to, to convert it. Um, and we get to 90 minutes. And what were the Nick with the eight minutes of added time, I think? Something like that. Anyone? 12. 12, wasn't it? Yeah, we yeah. played 12, but there were, the eight yeah. were put up. Um, and we get into stoppage time. And uh, we get a throw on the right. Wardy throws it back into Anderson in a right back position. And he puts a sort of hopeful ball into the penalty area. Poro misses it. Jordan chests it down. Uh, Jordan O chests it down half volley. And it's a peach of a goal, isn't it? Um, 94 minutes played, another four minutes to go. And you think, happy days, you know. Let, you know, we, we never, never say never. We might just get something out of this. Um, and then the VAR um, uh, intervened, you know, and they looked to handball. I don't know about you, but I was so frustrated by this. I think the homestead made their voice felt um, with their opinion on VAR because they must have looked at it from every single angle, trying to find a reason to disallow the goal, and they couldn't. Jim, can I ask you at that point, while that VAR was going on, and Ian's right to highlight it, because we spoke about it pre-show anyway, that they did everything in their power. It lose back to the point you made earlier with... It's because it's Spurs. I mean, it hits him here. It might have flicked his hand on the way down, OK? He, he couldn't have done anything about it because he was running at pace, pace anyway. But do you not think that the officials were trying to find a conclusive piece of evidence to disallow that goal? No. You, you, I think the officials haven't a clue what they're doing at the moment. I think the referee on the park isn't refereeing anymore. And it's come back to these numbies that are sitting up in some room hundreds of miles away that take 10 minutes to look at a decision that t should take 30 seconds and it, it's just it's so frustrating i mean i was even <laughs> I, I never get really hit up when i'm watching but i was getting so wound up and the fans around me were just ridiculous and it's like i've got a great i've got a philosophy on football football's played not in slow motion. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Played, played. So why do you look at any decision in slow motion? The, foot, the game isn't played in slow motion. So why should you go back and look at things in slow motion? Because in slow motion, everything looks different. Quicker or worse. Or yeah. If you're going to look at something, you've got to look at it. You've got enough cameras there. So the referee's got one chance. In, in the uh, the rooms that they use, they've got 10, 20 cameras. So they shouldn't be allowed to look at it in slow motion. They should look at it in normal time, but they've got loads and loads of cameras so they can see different angles. Because every decision is different in slow motion to normal time. 
We don't play the game. I've never, ever considered that before. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you are spoiled by having the ledge that is Jim Cannon on the Red and Blue Review. I've never even thought about it that way. That's a great point. Great point. Yeah, yeah, spot on, Jim. Uh, Yeah, so the the delay really broke up the momentum that we had. Because, look, you know, when you score a goal and you get one back and and you've got four minutes left to try and get a second goal to draw the game, you want to just get on with it, don't you? But it gave Spurs a chance to regroup and just breathe a bit and look at it a bit. And I just think it spoiled it. You know, it was a shame because I'm not saying it would have been a different outcome had we started the game straight away. But you never know. Um, it wasn't the end of the action, though. You know, it was quite an exciting end. We see Sam Johnston go up for a corner. Can't remember seeing him do that before. Um, and... Uh, Right at the death, um, Franca has half a chance, really. You know, the ball gets played into the penalty area and he takes a wild swing at it. And the, the Tottenham defender did enough, you know, did his job to put him off. Um, I'm not blaming the lad there. I think it was a, a difficult chance and uh, goes over the bar. And actually, it was very similar to the one, the one that James Madison had in the first half, almost in an identical position on the pitch for Tottenham, where he did the same and the Palace player got in the way and he put it over the bar. So uh, there we go. Uh, you know, we, um, we we finished the game uh, on the wrong end of a 2-1 defeat. Um, I think the other frustrating thing about those final moments was the way the Spurs keeper and their two centre-backs took an age to do anything. Um, and I think the lack of press was, was when a lot of fans got really upset. Mateta had only been on the pitch 10 minutes and he was standing there watching them. Why didn't he just press them? the whole time to force them to play the ball and to speed the game up, if nothing else. Um, and, and you know, they're, they're wily old players. These are professional football. They know what they're doing. You know, they're winding that clock down, taking their time. And and as for Ramiro, I think he's an absolute disgrace to uh, professional football because twice he was fouled in the game that I can recall. And twice, they weren't head injuries, twice he went down holding his head. Uh, to get the game stopped, right. they're, doing more, they're doing that more and more now. And you're again, yeah. you're uh, and you know he was, and then when he did, when he came off in that second half for thirty seconds, um, the the Spurs keeper took ages to take the goal kick. He took him about twenty seconds to take the goal kick, so he wasn't off the pitch for thirty seconds at all. So it was it was crazy. So there we are. Um, the stats of the game, interestingly, you know, clearly Spurs had. The vast Lions, three quarters of possession of the ball. Um, didn't really feel like that watching the game. You know, you knew that Tottenham had most of the possession, but it didn't feel like three quarters of it, I don't think. But this is the stat that's interesting. The fact that we had 13 shots to their 10 and three shots on target to their single shot on target. And we still lose the game 2-1, which is underlines the point I made earlier about the fact that, you know, the quality of our shots just isn't there. Um, and then the corners, corner after corner after corner. Um, and again, we just don't convert those opportunities. Um, maybe we roughed them up a bit more than they did us uh, at the end with a foul count. Um, but we got two picked up two yellow cards in stoppage time as well, worth noting. Both Jordan Ayew and Joachim Anderson both got yellow cards in that stoppage time or added time, whatever we're calling it. Um and because they were showing their intensity, they wanted to win the ball back. They wanted to win the ball and get that second goal. So that for me, I was I was happy to see that when I look back on it. I mean, watching it live in the ground, I didn't pick up on it particularly. Um, but when you watch the video back and you see 
the way Anderson went in for the, the challenge and then I as well. Um, and I thought the challenge on uh, Raksaki before Anderson's yellow card was a particularly bad one. And the mate of mine went full tilt and started uh, giving the referee some quite severe abuse from Block G in the stand <laughs> at that stage. Um, Emerson Ryan, I think it was. So uh, so there we are. Um, I think that's all I've got to say on the game, guys. And if you two want to chip in and add anything. Yeah, go on, Ferg. Yeah, no, I was just going to... It's a very simplistic view, but the way Spurs set up, I think it was... Was it four, two, three, one? So Son up front on his own, which I think yeah. actually is probably our best set up, to be honest with you, rather than going with that flat three midfield. Mm. But they, I think they came... I think they came set up for a point or to try and snatch a goal on the break. And up until the own goal was scored, we were, we were the better side. I know forward possession, we were the better side. What it meant then, when they're 1-0 up, is they don't need to push forward again. They can sit back, they can be solid and hit us on the break because they know then we have to counter-attack. We have to try and score an equaliser. And the second goal, they just exploited that. You know, we pushed up and they found that space on, on Wardy's side. And, and, and it was a good goal. Don't get me wrong. It was a good goal. But um, similar to what Newcastle did on our right-hand side the week before. You know, they know that we've got gaps on those wings. And um, it's just I, I think it was just clever management, clever tactics. Um, <coughs> I think I think the interesting point came... I, I was having a look at the BBC's uh, stats post-match and this morning, and out of 10... All of our players, the only player that got scored, only Palace player that scored above five was Sam Johnson, who got 5.07. Everybody else got between three and five, um, So, uh, which I thought was pretty harsh. Uh, Crystal Palace have enjoyed a decent start to the season under Roy Hodgson. Um, they've come out of two difficult games against Newcastle and now Tottenham with zero points and conceding six goals and only scoring once. But while the 4-0 loss to Eddie Howe-Size was a poor performance from start to finish, there were signs of encouragement in this display against a team continuing to a uh, stunning run of form. <coughs> Frustrated their opponents in the first half and created the better opportunities, whilst ultimately Ward's moment of misfortune was decisive. Exactly how we summed it up. Um, Nigel, could you do me a favour, put Joel Ward's boot up? Because... I understand Lindsay is watching us from the DSA. Lindsay, very good evening to you and Bruce, if you're out there. Ladies and gentlemen, if you missed last, last week's show, please, please support our Disabled Supporters Association. You do not have to have a member of your family or anybody you know that is disabled. Just join them as a group. They would, they would love to have you on board and tell them Nick from the Red and Blue Review sent you. Crystal Palace Disabled Supporters Association signed Joel Ward boot in a silent auction. The auction ends in two weeks' time on the 12th of November at 9pm. It's open to all. Bids can be sent to info at cpfcdsa.org and the starting bid would be 250 quid. If you're in that position to do so, ladies and gentlemen, please, please support them. Okay, and like I say, I, I do hope you do. Lindsay, I can see you there. As a, my best kind regards to you. Thank you, Nigel. Jim, you must have a pair of old stinky old boots somewhere in the cupboard that you don't need anymore, do you? But is that only one boot? I mean, yeah, I know boot. it's dis I know it's disabled, but surely you can give them two boots. 
Absolutely, absolutely. You, uh, well, have you got any old boots? Do you keep any of your old stuff, Jim? <laughs> uh, no, none that I played in long time ago. I've got boots, but they're not. Well, they're all right, but they're black, black and white. Nobody uses them anymore. No, c correct. The thing so, that I'm most worried about is, is, is his left boot. Now, John <laughs> Joel Wall normally uses his left boot for standing on, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Anyway, so the real controversy after Friday evening's game came after the game. Now, there's been lots of discussion about this on social media. We're going to play you a clip in a minute. But before we do, ladies and gentlemen, if you are watching this out in Facebook land and you use the term Roy with a W, please leave this group. I will not, and I will not tolerate anybody that's taking the piss out of his speech impediment, okay? I do not want you part of the show. I do not want you part of the group. So please make your way away from Renably Review. His name is Roy Hodgson, and he is an elder statesman of the game, and he deserves a little bit more respect. After the game, he caused himself a little bit of controversy, and here comes the clip right now. No, there was no disappointment today. Maybe that the young substitutes that you know we we'd like to think we can believe in and will help us to a different level didn't didn't show that you know they didn't do anything for us at all really we became much weaker when I made the substitutions. As you can see, as you can see, chaps. Now, Ian, I know you have one standpoint. Jim, from an ex-professional's point of view. Was what he said disrespectful and unhelpful to the youngsters? Um, I thought it was a bit harsh uh, it, when he said he wasn't disappointed at all. Well, what game has he just watched? Because because it was a very disappointing game. Uh, I mean, when I watched when Raksaki come on, he didn't go out wide. He went in the middle of the park. He was playing sort of just inside the the right hand side, and. Uh, yeah, I, I find it strange that if you've got a problem with kids that have played like, well, one's not played at all, uh, you've got to talk to them. You talk to them on the training ground. You put your arm around them and you tell them what you expect. Or, But to sit there, knowing that there's probably a couple of million people listening to that, and goodness knows what the story will be when France when it's repeated up a hundred times back in Brazil, he'll be, he'll be devastated. Uh, yeah, no, it was. I thought it was very poor. I, I thought it was, I, there was other players on that park that were a lot worse or exactly the same as M3. So for him to pick them out, I was disappointed, very disappointed. And I don't know why he did that because uh, uh, that's that's not Roy Hodgson. And I'm glad you made that point. The context behind that, there's a lot more to that interview than he said afterwards. But the context, um, I don't believe he actually meant what he said. Maybe, maybe there is more going on behind the scenes that you just mentioned there, Jim. And I wondered that. For the context behind the whole thing was he didn't think that the youngsters influenced how he wanted them to be. But it didn't come across like that. Was he right or wrong for saying what he said? I, I think he could have chosen his words more carefully. I think what he should have said was the substitutions didn't work and just leave yeah. it at that. Um, the fact that he went into sort of naming and shaming and sort of saying, well, you know, that actually made the side weaker. 
that that's not good. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure those youngsters it's probably knocked their confidence. Um, the trouble is though, you're bringing Araksaki for once. He brought him on a little bit earlier than than usual. But when you're bringing him on sort of 10, 15 minutes from the end, it's really difficult for them to make an impact on the game. You know, that it, it's going to take them a little while to get up to speed. Um, yeah, so so not helpful. Could have chose his words differently. Jim? Looking at Raksaki, I mean, he, he come on at the Forest game and he was at, got a player of the match and apparently he done not bad when he come on 20 minutes up at Newcastle. Why didn't he start with him? You needed you need somebody that can actually run and go at people. I mean, we've got Wilfred Saha. He'd go at somebody ten times and lose at five or six. So what's the difference between Raksaki? And I would have played him. I would have changed that team. The reason we done really well last year when Roy came in is we put Jordan Ayew up front. He's the only player in our team that can actually hold the ball up, bring people into the game. So I would have put Schlappi in the middle, I would put Edward on the left and Raksaki on the right, and I think we'd have been better team. But he brings them on, like you just said there, Ferg, the last 15, 20 minutes when you're 2 nothing down and you're doing nothing. What, what is he expecting? Put the young lad, if you've got no confidence in these kids, but Roy's never been a person that's gone for kids. He's also always gone for some more experienced players. And... Uh, I just like to see. I think he should have given him a game. What's he, What's he frightened of? I mean, he's a big, strong lad. I know he's only a kid, but sometimes you just got to say, "Go on, son, go and enjoy yourself." Up and down the line, do your defensive duties. But when you get the ball, go at them. And uh, I think he would have improved, especially in the first half when we were playing really well. Jim, I reckon you've got a copy of my script in front of you because you just fed me beautifully. What? Again, he, so we're all saying about he's got to play the youngsters, he's got to play the youngsters. But Ian, was he not inadvertently having a dig at the board about the lack of investment? Yeah, I think he probably was. And he's. I think he's been disappointed by the fact that we haven't invested in the squad as much as we all would have liked. Um, but what I'm about to say is potentially controversial and it's an unpopular opinion. Um, and... I actually think that Roy Hodgson has every right to say whatever he wants after a game. He's managed 500 games in the English English game. Um, that's no mean feat. He's, as we've already said, he's an elder statesman. He needs our respect. And if he wants to say something like that, let him say it. I haven't got a problem with that. I don't think it will knock the players' confidence at all. I think they'll pick themselves up, uh, kick up the backside, and they'll get on with it. Um, and whether he could have chose his words differently. Yes, of course, he probably could have done. Um, but I agree with the sentiments of what he was saying in as much as I don't think the substitutions had the impact that he was looking for and that we were all looking for. So um, I'm going to back Roy. Um, and I know it's an unpopular opinion all over social media. People, you know, having a go at him. Talk Sport even made a big thing of it um, uh, over the weekend. But uh, I think he's a great guy. And, you know... Roy, Roy's come in and done a job for us this season when we didn't have anyone else, basically. Um, we couldn't find the right manager. Um, and whether we can now, whether we've got more time, whether Steve Parrish and the board know who Roy's successor is going to be, because I don't think he'll be here next season. I hope we don't sack him. I hope 
we don't, um, you know, part ways with him in an acrimonious way or anything like that. He's too much of a legend for me for, for that to happen. Um, and, you know, when you look at our position in the Premier League at the moment, uh, on 12 points, we're locked together with a, with a whole host of other teams, including Chelsea, in the middle of the table. You know, we're not at the bottom. You know, we're not at the top either. You know, we're where we probably ought to be and expected to be before a ball was kicked 10 games ago. Um, and we've just lost two games back-to-back. It's the first time since Roy's been back when he took charge last season that we've lost back-to-back Premier League games, by the way. And this is against two of the best sides in the country. Jim? Just, yeah, that's fair enough, uh, Ian. But when you bring attacking players on, when you're 2-0 down, you would expect that we would push up and become an attacking team. Yeah. But for when the fans were going daft, it's because they were standing on the ball, the keeper, the two centre-halves, and we were 20, 30 yards deep watching them. So how's that, how are we going to influence the game? And the only reason that is happening is the way they're set up and the way the manager wants them to play. So you the high press... The high press, you've got to go in. First one's got to go in, second one's got to go in, third one's got to go in. I watched Mateta a couple of times. He goes right, he goes in. Everybody's standing behind him. Yeah, so if, if you're going to if you're going to bring attacking players on, you've got to then change the way you're playing and become more attacking minded and push players further up the pack and stop them dancing on the ball in their own 18 yard box. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that, Jim, at all. Um, I think specifically towards the end of the game, when Matessa was on the pitch, there were times when the goalkeeper and the centre-backs were tippy-tapping about, wasting time, and there was no press at all. Uh, I think Tottenham showed us how to press. They certainly did that. Um, Interesting Mark Gahey's post-match comments. Um, He said after the game, um, the fans want us to press a bit more. But we have to stay compact and carry out the manager's instructions. Yes. Very, very and, that's, and that's it. That's the instructions. Sit and back. Don't lose 4 0. 2 0's all right. Or 2 1's all right. Okay. Sorry. Well, what you don't know is you are really on fire, big man. And I'm going to, tell, I'm going to read you the first line of what I was about to read out. So there was a discussion this afternoon on social media. Okay, and one of them came straight back and it's aimed at you, Jim. Okay, I have a question for Jim. What is his view on the fact that we always seem to play so narrow against teams and so much uh, who get so much joy from attacking us in wide positions? Well, you've already sort of answered that, but anything else you want to add to that? No, no, not really. I've said, I've had me moan. Okay, well, also on the same thread, um, there was lots of talk about this so-called press. And I'm going to read you a couple of the paragraphs from this um, from this thread. And Chloe, Chloe is obviously a friend of the show. She said, um, this, the complete lack of pressing or any effort is nothing to do with the subs and everything to do with the manager and his tactics. Again, Jim's already covered that. She went on to say, obviously being told not to press, we... We also don't press a team when Spurs scored their second goal. Our players were pressing due to crowd, the crowd pressure. Gaps everywhere and we got exposed. And I think the point she made there was exactly what Ian was just alluding to. Yeah, when when we don't press, the crowd get on the back. When we do press, 
we're creating gaps. That's nothing to do with the subs. That's nothing to do with the inexperience of the kids that came on. You know, the the two fullbacks we had on at that point were Klein and Ward. Okay, so there's absolutely nothing to do with the substitutes, the management. So those of you who were talking about um, the manager's responsible, he bought the subs on, blah, 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 blah. I must admit, I was one in the crowd that was saying, look at them, they're just, they're just playing it across their back four and their goalkeeper. And we're not doing anything, Mateta particularly, not doing anything to shut it down. But it's nothing to do with the substitutes. And it, Andrew, Andrew Adams went on to say, the thing is, people don't realise that no one wanted to come. Uh, Roy's a safe pair of hands uh, to keep the board happy and to keep us in the Premier League on the cheap. We've not got a striker. We've needed a, to needed or replaced Zaha. Yes, I'm harping about Zaha again. Um, somebody's also said in the chat this evening, Graham Potter incoming. Jim, you go first, mate. Yeah, I just want to just clarify this press and... I I, I see a lot of people sort of like saying, oh, go and push in. But unless the whole team's doing it together, you know, and you say about the goal being created, like, because we were either pushing and leaving gaps, that, you shouldn't leave gaps. If you if you work together, I remember with Terry Venables, we used to play small-sided games, no goals, keep ball, and it would be eight against seven. So the seven would be defending, and you had to press to the ball, as long as the player behind you and the player you're leaving, as long as that defender's close enough to get to your guy. So you all done it together. So pressing's not just about one guy going and closing the keeper down or the fullback. As soon as he goes, two or three, four other players in their other areas must go in behind them. And we don't do that. Now, I don't know if we've ever worked on that because Roy's more, apart from towards the end of last season, when we were really attacking teams, Roy's more a defensive set-up type of guy. But so the, the high pressing, I was listening to um, Madison after the, the game the other night with, Chelsea, with uh, Spurs, and he was talking about the manager. And he says, pressing is non-negotiable. Yep. If you don't do it, you don't play. Now, it's just what, not one player going. There's about five players all pressing towards the ball. And the only ball then is probably a 70-yard ball up the park or you're going to lose it. And, that, and that's the whole point that you try to do, isn't it? Try to make them lose it. So it's, uh, it's got to be worked on. It's not an easy thing to do. And we certainly don't work on it. Well, you say that, Jim. It, it looks as if we don't work on it. They might work on it, but it's not, it's not working. Well, they might do, yeah. yeah. Who knows? But I, I, think, I think you make a really valid point, mate, that that it is, it's not easy, you know, it really isn't easy because you are damned no. if you do and you're damned if you, if you don't in some ways because if you do press and you get it wrong, then that's where teams can open you up, I think. Um, and I'm not saying they did for the second goal necessarily, but it can happen like that. And, uh, you know, someone else said in the chat, I just saw it, um, Newcastle beat Sheffield United 8-0 earlier in the season. If that had happened to us, do you think Roy survives? Um, I don't think we're patient enough, you know. I think if we were hammered like that, out, you know, it's almost almost like that. I would suggest. So I think on the back of the four nil, I think that that didn't help. Yes, on Friday, because on the back of that four nil, we did not want a repeat of that. And had we opened it up too much and lost a third or a fourth goal, you know, confidence would have been on the floor. As Jim Chuck rightly said, it's better to lose two nil two one than four four nil four four one. 
Ferg. Well, I'm just going back to Ian's point about, you know, where we are in the table. I think a little bit of perspective is, is needed, you know, where where if, if we win the next two games, which are, are very winnable, we could go as, as, as high as seventh, let's say, you know. Hold that so, we're going to come on to those fixtures in a minute and you're right. It's, it's, it's not all bad. I was going to say the last two games, we you know, we'd, if we'd have got a point, or even snatched the win out of it, we'd have been elated, you know. But I think the expectation was two difficult games, you know, if we could get something great. But I don't think the expectation for us to to pick up a, a haul of points was there. You know, we no. just wanted to see decent performance. Um, didn't get that at Newcastle. Got it in the first half on Friday night. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But Jimmy, when, I was, when, I was, okay. when I was in Spironi's, when I was in Spironi's on Friday night, when I was on the mic, I did make a point of saying that we played nine games and we got 12 points. A quarter of the season has gone, and if we carry on like that, we'll end up with 48 points or whatever, if if we carried on the same way. But at the same time, it, we can't get carried away or disappointed because there's a certain section of the table that if you get a point or something from it, you think we've done well. It's the other games we've got coming up now, and as Fergus just said, like we could get in the position. I mean, we've got three very winnable games coming up that are teams that are at our table. These other teams are not at our table. They're up there. So any little thing we can get. But I think we're more disappointed over the last few games because we haven't been doing that bad. You know, like, end of the season was brilliant, so the expectation rises. So... It's not all doom and gloom. I mean, we've we've lost to two of the top teams, two teams that could possibly finish in the top four. Yeah. yeah. Well said, yeah. mate. Well said. Right, I'm just going to move on to the other teams very briefly, and then we're going to come back to those last fixtures, if you don't mind. Uh, no, the women haven't played at all since uh, at the last show. Their next game is uh, Crystal Palace women versus Lewis women. On the 12th of November at the Sutton Stadium, the BBS Stadium, um, and that's a two o'clock kickoff. Uh, also, we've got uh, the Palace ladies have got Southampton at home at Selhurst Park. Get yourselves down there for this one. Uh, I intend to be there for that game. That's Sunday, the 19th of November, Selhurst Park, also a two o'clock kickoff. I think it's uh, if you buy your tickets in advance as an adult, it's 13 quid. But on the gate, it goes up to 19 quid. So get your tickets for the Palace ladies in advance. Uh, their home game against Sellers Park. They've even given Southampton their own their own block within the uh, main stand for that game. The under-18s, uh, Premier League, they played uh, Arsenal at the Palace training ground. And it was a three-all draw. Pretty good result against the Arsenal under-18s, I, I would guess. Their next game is against Spurs, away at Spurs, at the Tottenham Hotspur training ground. On the 4th of November at 11 o'clock. Uh, and the, I think, oh yeah, the Premier League, this is the under-21s, Premier League International Cup. Palace played uh, Monaco, uh, also at the BBS Stadium, and ran out 3-1 winners against Monaco. Again, great result. Their next match is Premier League 2 action, Division 1, Palace versus West Brom. Monday the 30th of October, uh, 7 o'clock kickoff at the BBS Stadium. Right, boys, okay, if you don't mind, we are going to go and have a look at the upcoming fixtures, not just the next three, 
Well, I think we've got six on the list that I want to di discuss with you. A couple of them are fairly meaty ones. I mean, West Ham, obviously, is one of them. There you go. So we've got Burnley away, uh, Everton at home, who sadly picked up a win today, uh, Luton away, West Ham, as I've alluded to, at the London Stadium, Bournemouth, and then obviously the big one, the very difficult one against them, that lot up in uh, Republic of Liverpool. Uh Talk me through the fixtures. Ian, I'm going to come to you first. Leave the nose on screen, please, Nigel. Uh, how do you think we're going to one by one pick them off, please? Okay, well, let, let's talk about Burnley next Saturday. Um, I think it's a good game for us to, to have after these two defeats. Um, Burnley have played 10, uh, won just one game, drawn one, lost eight games uh, in their first 10 games back in the Premier League. Um, I watched their match of the day highlights against Bournemouth. I thought they were a bit unlucky not to draw the game. They're offside goal at the end. Again, VAR had a bit of a nightmare with that one. Um, but um, they're there to be beaten. Um, I do think we need to press against Burnley. Um, that's how they've come unstuck against other teams. So um, I think that will that will go in our favour. At least I hope it is. I'm, I'm travelling up for that and uh, I hope it's not a wasted journey uh, at all. Um, so a win against Burnley for me. Um, I watched most of Everton v West Ham this afternoon, not all of it, but most of it, and um, saw them go in front, which was sort of against the run of play. Um, they haven't done particularly well this season, Everton. I don't like Everton as a club after the way they stayed up um, when we lost up there 3-2, having been 2-0 up the other year. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those games where you look at it and you think, actually, we, we could and should win this game. And then we've got a break, of course, international break. And then at the end of November, we go to Luton Town, a game that I know a lot of people are looking forward to. And again, a game that we should win. You know, player for player, we're much better than Luton Town. And um, it'll be tough because it's not an easy place to go. No place is in the Premier League. But that ground is very compact. Um, so I think we could win that one as well. West Ham away. Um, don't like the London Stadium particularly, but we always do quite well there, it seems. That one's live on Sky, 2 o'clock on a Sunday. Of course, the reason it's a Sunday is because West Ham play on the Thursday night in Europe. Um, and then our home game against Bournemouth is a full Premier League uh, programme for that midweek. has been shifted back to the Wednesday. Um, Bournemouth at home has kind of fixed your target to win. And then we play Liverpool. Um, shame it's a Saturday lunchtime, so it comes quite hot on the heels of the, the Bournemouth game. But it's the same for both teams, I suppose. Uh, to some extent, I don't know when Liverpool's game is on the midweek. Uh, and they've got to travel to us for the, again, that's on BT Sport or TNT, wherever it's called, 12.30. Um, it's always a good game when we play Liverpool at home. It's always a tough game. But, you know, I, I'm yeah, cautiously optimistic about that set of fixtures. I um, think we could win three or four of them. You're on mute, Nicholas. Thank you, mate. For Jim, for those six fixtures... As against teams below us in the league. How do you think we're going to get on? Uh, well, just next, just alluded all the way through there. There's six games. I think we should get 11 points out of them. I think there's Burnley, Luton, Bournemouth. And then a couple of draws. I'll let, I'll let Everton have a draw. But, yeah, I can't see any reason if we play... I mean, I know we're missing our two best players and goal scoring is a bit of a problem. But uh, I think there's 11 points for the taking there. I mean, they, what I said, these are the teams that sit at our table. We can beat them. 
whereas the other teams sit at the top table and we just try and do our best against them. So 11 points and that would be a great first part of the season, I think. OK, I want to know who is responsible for sending Cannon my script. Ferg has just alluded to the two best players that are missing, OK, and hopefully at least one of them will be back for a couple of those games. Your thoughts on those games, mate? So I fully expect us to beat... Um, uh, who have we got next? We've got... Burnley. Burnley away. And, um, I think we'll beat Everton at home. I think we'll beat Luton away. I think we'll draw at West Ham. I think we'll beat Bournemouth and it'll be Palace nil VAR2 against Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting, boys. I think what we're going to do, I, I, I think having Jim back on the show tonight has been a little bit uplifting. Don't you think he's been, he's been really positive today? I know. What have you been drinking today, Jim? I've been annoying. No, you haven't. No, you have not. So it's been brilliant. I mean, <laughs> so I think we're currently sitting 13th in the league on 12 points. We've got some very winnable games coming up. Boys, I'm going to draw a line under it there because we've already gone past nine o'clock and I'm conscious that we're giving up your sunny evening. For each and every one of you on the back of two defeats that have joined us this evening, thank you so much. We will return, as that slide was about to say, on Sunday, bonfire night. Uh, so it'll be a bit louder. I should be out of the back here. 5th of November at eight o'clock. Please join us then. Jim, as always, mate, you are the ledge. Thank you for joining us, mate. No problem. And Ian and Ferg, as always, you know what you are. You know what you are. And I'm very grateful for it. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of myself, Nick Philpott, and this magnificent team of people with me, I thank you all for joining us. I'll see you again next week. Take care. God bless. Up the palace. Good night.